Are you going to a holy God? It's just, and that He would want anything to do with us too, right? Wow, it's uh, amazing, amazing. Uh, let me just say, it's been good to have Kurt Hanselman with us for the last couple weeks. It's always good to see you, Kurt. Uh, but as I understand it, is it your last Sunday before you head off to Texas? Yeah. Maybe one more. Okay. All right. What's that? Last Sunday. Oh, got it. Got it. Well, uh, be sure to uh, say hi to Kurt and wish him well before he heads out of town. It sounds like we got another week. But uh, all right. Uh, I got one announcement I want to share before we get to the word. Uh, this has been uh, in the works uh, since the summer. But uh, there's a, a sports ministry in our community called DCH, Dutchess County Homeschool Sports. And my wife and I were uh, approached by the uh, the head of DCH, uh, who happens to live in our neighborhood. Uh, Trisha is her name, and she uh, explained to my wife and I that you know she just feels like it's time for her to be done. Uh, her kids are grown; she has to go back to work and that kind of thing. And so it just makes sense for her to kind of step away from that ministry. Uh, and that ministry was really a, a parachurch ministry; it had no connection to any church. And you know, what she was asking my wife and I to consider and what we brought to the elders uh, is to absorb the ministry of DCH into and have it become a ministry of our church. And so the, uh, the elders thought that was in alignment with our vision and our mission as a church. And so we've done that. And there will also be word going out this week about that. Uh, but let me just quickly explain what, what it is. Uh, first of all, DCH, we're going to rebrand that. We're going to call it something completely different. Uh, we're actually calling it Thrive, Thrive Youth Sports. And what it consists of are uh, eight-week sports clinics where uh, kids will sign up and come. And in the fall, by the end of this next week, there'll be registrations opening up for fall soccer. And uh, it's just one one morning a week, Saturday mornings, starting in September for eight weeks. And kids come and they learn skills and drills. And, and uh, they have a, a devotion from God's Word at the end. And they go home. Uh, this is something that's open to the entire community. We're hoping to engage our community with this ministry. So there's eight-week sports clinics. Soccer is one. We've got basketball in the in the uh, in the winter, volleyball in the spring, uh, and so hopefully more to come. Also, the uh, another component of this is that they have homeschool competitive sports. So for those who are homeschooled, uh, there's opportunity to compete uh, at the high school level with other schools in our area, uh, local private Christian schools. And so we're going to uh, take that on as well. Uh, but pray, be in prayer for this ministry. Pray that we can effectively engage our community with it, uh, that we can uh, love kids and point them to Jesus uh, through this ministry. Uh, so Thrive Youth Sports, be praying for that. And you know, what, one of the cool things is, uh, not long after I became pastor, there's a number of us I, I know who are praying for this, but you know, just looking at the facilities that we have, we've been really blessed with the facilities that we have. And we have that gym, we have that big field out back, and just praying, God, show us how you want us to use this 
to bless our community, to reach our community for the gospel. And it's just incredible to me how this just kind of fell in our laps. You know, God just clearly answered that prayer. And uh, I know some of the guys around here, Steve Schultes and others, are, uh, are working on plans to uh, improve the field out in the back. We're going to make a full-size soccer field out there and uh, some other improvements to our gym to, to, to accommodate this new ministry. So uh, thank the Lord for that. All right, let's get to the word, shall we? We were in Micah chapter 3 last week. Chapter 3, man, wow, what a, what a chapter. I mean, that, that was a doozy. Uh, and, and the way that it ended, too, it's just kind of on a low note. A low note. The, 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 the Lord is removing his presence from his people because of their sin, because of uh, the ways in which they've turned away from him. And today, you know, I want us to consider what do we do? What do we do when, when your life is in shambles, when destruction does come, when disaster does come? You know, we, we learned last week that uh, the people of Micah's day did repent. They did turn back to the Lord. The, the, the Lord relented of the disaster uh, that he was proclaiming, but it, it would only be for a time. Disaster would eventually come. And so what do you do when disaster does come? When you look around at your life and there's just broken pieces everywhere. Perhaps you've uh, chosen uh, to sin in some way and, and it's hurt other people. It's hurt yourself. And you know what happens often in, in those times is uh, much like, but in a different way, but much like the people of God in Micah's day, you know, where the Lord was threatening to remove his presence. You know, as a believer, when we get caught in sin, we, we never lose the Lord's presence. The Holy, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, but we can grieve the Holy Spirit as followers of Jesus. We can grieve the Holy Spirit in our sin. Uh, and in those times, God just feels like he's a thousand miles away. You know, we, he doesn't feel near, right? Uh, he, he feels distant. You, you almost wonder, is he even there, right? And, and the temptation in those times is to wonder, you know, is, is, is this even for real? Is this, is, this, uh, is this something that's even true anymore, you know, because I don't feel God like I used to? Uh, but hear me, it's in those moments. It's in those moments when you need him the most. And it's in those moments when you need to draw near to him uh, when he feels distant. And so this is a, a word from Micah, chapter 4, we're just going to tackle the first five verses. I had, had every intention of doing all the way to the verse 13, but you know, as I got in, into this this week, I, you know, the Lord just showed me, just, just do the first five verses. It's, it's, there's so much here uh, for us. And so with, with our world and oftentimes our own lives, the mess that it is today, you know, what do we do? How do we live? How do we walk as people of God in these times? And so I hope to answer these questions from Micah chapter 4 this morning. So go ahead and grab your Bibles. It's that time. Grab them. Uh, turn with me to Micah chapter 4. If you need a Bible, go ahead and use the pew Bibles there in front of you. And if you're able, I'd like to invite you to stand with me out of reverence and, and respect for the Word of God. And follow along with me as I read.
Micah 4, 1 to 5. It shall come to pass in the later days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. And it shall be lifted above the hills and people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But they shall sit, every man, under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. It is rich and powerful. We thank you that uh, your spirit uh, uses the word to change hearts and minds. And God, we, we pray for no less this morning. Change us. Make us more like Jesus. Open our eyes to see your word with fresh eyes. And may we be different, made more like Jesus than the, than the time we first set foot through these doors this morning. And may it all be to your glory. And may it all uh, serve to uh, be a blessing to our community as your people are changed. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you can be seated. So as you might be able to tell from the, uh, the sermon title, I'm going to talk about the power of hope today. The power of hope and how Christian hope gives us strength to follow Jesus today. Christian hope gives followers of Christ strength follow Jesus today. I've got three points. We're going to jump right into it. The first one is future glory. But before I go too far, I want to remind you of what precedes Micah chapter 4. I touched on it a little bit already, but remember the judgment of God because God's people had become so corrupt and and unjust. Remember these words at the end of chapter 3. Therefore, Because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins. And the mountain of the house, a wooded height. And while the people of Micah's day were spared this judgment, because they repented and they turned back to God, these words would come to pass on a future generation when the armies of Babylon would burn Jerusalem and his temple to the ground. But now, in the very next verse, chapter 4, verse 1, in the very next verse, it's hard sometimes because in our Bibles they, they get separated by chapters and so it's, 
it's easy to lose sight of what just came before it, but the very next verse, Micah directs the people's attention even further into the future. Even further into the future. The, the, the words of chapter 3, verse 12, wouldn't come to pass until a hundred years later in, in the days of Jeremiah when, when Babylon would come. But now, Micah's directing their focus further to the latter days. To the latter days. Notice the contrast here with chapter 3, verse 12. The mountain, uh, the Mount of Zion in chapter 3 was plowed like a field. And, and, but here in chapter 4, verse 1, it will be established as the highest of all mountains. This is what will be. And what was once a heap of ruins will be lifted up to the sky. And this is a metaphor for the place of highest prominence. But notice that the path to restoration was to be brought low. Was to be brought low. The consequences of our sin make our lives something of a dumpster fire. But what feels hopeless is actually a tool of God for our good. It's, it's a tool of God for our good. But how can a broken life be for our good, you might be thinking? What, what, what good can come of this? It's because you need to be brought low to know that you can't do it. You need to be brought low to know that you can't do it. Tim Keller puts it this way in his book, King's Cross. The condition of your heart must be one of repentant helplessness. Repentant helplessness is how he puts it. It's to know that you have nowhere else to turn but to Jesus. To know that it's he alone that can help you. It's he alone that can put those pieces of your life back together. And when you cry out to God to restore your life, he doesn't say to you, hey, you've got to be perfect. You've got to get your act together. You've got to put some of the pieces back together yourself and I'll help you the rest of the way. I'll meet you halfway. No, God saves people who have repentant helplessness as the condition of their hearts. Remember the story in Genesis of the Tower of Babel. It was a place where human pride was on full display. Because all the peoples of the earth spoke just one language... They were very effective. And so the Lord confused their language and he scattered them. So the picture of of Babel in Genesis is is that of a tower and people being scattered uh, across the, the globe. But here we get a glimpse of something of an anti Babel. Instead of being scattered, the nations are drawn to the mountain of the Lord. The nations are being drawn to the temple of God. But notice here that Micah is pointing to Jesus. He's pointing to Jesus, the true house of the Lord, who is the true temple that was lifted up above all rule and authority when he was lifted up on the cross. I hear Jesus' own words from John twelve thirty two. He says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. It's Jesus who fulfills these words of Micah. 
And when people come to Jesus, the true and better Mount Zion, the true and better temple, the true and better city of God, notice what they find when they arrive. Look at verse 2. They don't find, think back to chapter 3, they don't find priests who teach for a price, but a perfect priest whose words are good and true. They don't find false words of peace from prophets who are only concerned for their own comfort, but they find the very word of God. This is the contrast that Micah is painting here in in verse 2. They don't experience junk justice that takes bribes, but they experience true justice that will decide rightly, even between mighty nations. Now notice the effect that coming to Jesus has on the nations. True world peace. That's our next point here. World peace. This is, this is a powerful picture here in verse 3. Look at this rich imagery. First, notice that Micah doesn't say that the Lord took away everyone's weapons. He smashed them to pieces, right? No, he he. He scattered the dust of their shield and their their spears, broke their chariots, threw them all in the ocean. That's not what it says. No. This is what he does. He takes their very tools. He takes their very tools for making war and he turns them into farming tools. There's transformation happening here. Look how amazing this is. He takes tools made for death And he makes them into tools to be used for sustaining and promoting life. Now hear me carefully. There are some here today whose lives are a mess. They're broken. Marriages are broken. Relationships are strained. And you may be feeling that things are pretty hopeless. That perhaps... Perhaps there's no coming back for you. That you've just made too much of a mess of your life. And if I just described you, I want you to hear this. Notice what God doesn't do. He doesn't discard. He doesn't discard the tools of war. He doesn't throw them away. He makes them into something new. He makes them into something new. And that's how God works. God wants to make you into something new. He doesn't want to discard you. He doesn't want to throw you away. He wants to make you new. He wants to uh, bring transformation into your life. This is what Jesus says in Revelation 21.5. Behold, I am making all things new. I'm making things new. He wants to restore you into a person who brings life to the world around you. This is what Jesus does for people who come to him for forgiveness. You have that repentant helplessness. He makes them new and life-giving. He takes broken things and he makes them beautiful. And why should we expect anything less? Jesus himself submitted to the violence due to us on the cross an instrument of death, no less, and makes it into the basis of bringing life and newness to the world. 
You ever think about that? The cross is an instrument of death, but now it's a symbol of life. And that's what God wants to do for you, is to bring transformation, to bring you from death to life. There's a powerful story that portrays this symbolism. During World War II, uh, Army Chaplain Lieutenant Leon Maltby did something pretty creative and interesting. He, he made a set of communion cups from the cases of hollowed-out machine gun bullets. And after the war, he served a Japanese Christian with this unique communion set. Instruments made for destruction were transformed into receptacles that symbolically carry the life-giving blood of Jesus. Isn't that a powerful picture? And that's what God does for broken sinners, for people who have that heart condition of repentant hopelessness. We come to him and he makes us new. This is the effect that Jesus has on the nations. This is our last point, bold living. Verse 5 brings us back from the future to the present where he says that all people now walk in the name of their gods in defiance to the one true God. The, the verb walk in verse 5, it's a, a common biblical metaphor for living. Living your life is what this implies. And to walk in someone's name meant that you identify with that person. And so to walk in someone's name meant to live in such a way so as to identify with someone and to conform your character, the character of your life, to that person. So the picture here on the front end of verse 5 is a picture of the current of the world moving decidedly against and away from the Lord as people live for their own desires. They reject the Lord. And with the current so strong, how are God's people to find strength and motivation to walk in the name of the Lord? How are you, Christian, not swept away or caught up in the current of our world? I think we can all agree the current of our world is strong and it's only moving faster and harder away from Jesus. So what are we to do? The answer that Mike has been shouting all along here is future hope. Future hope. The writer to the Hebrews in the New Testament makes this same point when he says that Christian hope is a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. It's a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. No doubt today, we are getting bombarded through all forms of media, including uh, being told lies about ourselves and who we are and what it means to be human, what it means to flourish, what it means to be free, lies about the reality of our world and lies about our deepest needs everywhere. And Micah's word is to look to the future hope to come. Look to the future hope to come. Here's a great way to understand how that works. Tim Keller tells a story in his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. He tells a story about two men serving long prison sentences 
for serious crimes that they committed. And the one prisoner was told that while in prison, his wife and son uh, had died. And the other prisoner was told that uh, his wife and daughter are still alive. And so the difference between these two prisoners, while they're in prison, one, uh, the one who was told that his wife and son had died, just slowly deteriorates, and over the course of two years, dies in prison with lack of hope. But the one who's told that his, his wife and, and daughter are alive and they're waiting for him, that hope carries him through uh, and, and, and to, to see the end of his prison sentence and to be freed and reunited with his family. And this is how we're to be motivated by hope. This is the principle. What you know about your future will inform the way you live your life now. What you know to be true about your future will inform the way that you live your life now, especially how you endure hardship and suffering in this life. Knowing what is sure and true about your future will carry you through that. And living on this side of the cross, we know that Jesus has already begun his work of restoration in the lives of his people. He's restoring you now if you belong to Jesus, using all the circumstances of your life for your good to make you more like Jesus. This message of hope that Micah had for people who would one day be carried away into Babylonian exile, but it's a message of hope for us today who struggle with pain, who struggle with injustice and all the kinds of grief that we experience in this life. Some self-inflicted because of our own sin, but some because of the sin of others and done to us. But knowing that Jesus paid the price for our sin on the cross and rose again so that all who turn to him can be made new. And we know that whatever we suffer in this life, it is not God's final word. Amen? It's not God's final word. So I don't know where you're at right now, what, what the circumstances of your life are, but know this, just like the word of hope for the people in Micah's day was not the final word. The, 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 the mowing of Jerusalem, of, the, of, of, of Mount Zion, of the, of the temple being burned to the ground, that was not the final word. And your suffering and your trials are not the final word for you either if you belong to Christ. And this is how we're to walk with future hope. We're to walk in, in light of future hope with what we know to be true This is how we walk in the name of the Lord our God forever. When the world around us, the culture of our, 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 the the current of our culture moving away hard and fast in the Lord, this is how we walk faithfully, knowing future hope, knowing that whatever is done to us here in the body, there's going to be a resurrection. What can man do to me, right? There's future hope, there's future glory that awaits us. And this is how we walk in the name of the Lord our God forever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that our suffering is not the final word. That disaster in our lives is not the final word. 
We thank you that for those who belong to Jesus by faith in Jesus, who trust his life, his death, and his resurrection in their place, in our place, that we have a great hope, that we have a resurrection to come, that we have a a kingdom that is coming, that is here now, but coming more and more every day in its fullness. We await that day when the Lord will return in great power and glory and make all things new. Father, we thank you that you make us new, that you don't discard us, that you don't toss us aside and start over, but you make us new, that you transform us uh, as uh, instruments of war into instruments of peace and life. God, work in our hearts to that end. God, may we be quick to repent of the, the, the deeds of sin that we commit that, that are deeds of death, that, that are not life-giving. And God, may we uh, be brought low with repentant, humble attitudes and hearts, knowing that we can't do it. We need you to do it for us. We thank you that you did by sending your son Jesus to do for us what none of us could have done for ourselves. We thank you for Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen.